Hello, everyone, and welcome to Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. I'm your host, Bill Cannon. I'm a retired 27-year veteran of the NYPD. I was a detective sergeant assigned to Manhattan North Homicide Squad. And with me today uh, in the right window is retired NYPD police officer and current attorney, Joe Murray. Great to see you back, Joe. It's so good that uh, you healed up from that COVID. We were all worried about you, and everyone I can tell you right now, I was praying for you. Thank you so much. It really meant so much. You know, all the love and support I saw just as I was laying there in the hospital. It, it really means a lot, and I'm so great, uh, glad to be back. And I could see in your face that you lost a lot of weight, and I, uh, I, I won't act like I know how much you told me before uh, we went on the air. You lost 25 pounds. It looks good on you. It looks good off you. That's off you, good Joe. So, part of it. I'm actually considering a second round. If, uh, I don't if think you are. I don't. I don't think you are. Hell anyway, of a way to lose it. Anyway, in the window below me is a retired NYPD detective, Phil Grimaldi, straight out of Brooklyn. Phil, great to see you tonight. Thank you, Bill. Uh, a little somber about the uh, the events of yesterday. Uh, prayers and thoughts, and uh, uh, to the Petito family. Uh, horrible. Uh, we all kind of knew it might go in this direction, but unfortunately uh, her being found safe wasn't to be. And our condolences to her, uh, the family and God bless us all. You know, 100% and we're going to get into that. Uh, we're going to get into the investigation. We're going to get into a lot of the legal uh, questions that people have. But first folks, if uh, you're not subscribed to our channel on YouTube, please hit that subscribe button. Ring that bell. Give us a thumbs up. Uh, police off the cuff real crime stories were growing by leaps and bounds if you want real accurate information from a police perspective this is your channel uh so as we were saying we all know this story that uh, i can quickly go over the timeline on july 2nd gabby and brian left uh blue point long island and they went on this trip in this van which was supposed to uh be for over four months on 8 12 they were pulled over, as you saw, by the Moab police in that infamous scene where they're caught on body camera. There's a lot of questions whether one of them or both of them should have been arrested during that incident. We'll address that later also. On 825, Gabby put out an um, Instagram message and spoke to her mom on the phone. That was the last actual documented time they could say they actually spoke to her. Uh, on 9-1, um, Brian returns to Florida with her van minus Gabby. On 9-11, the family reported her missing. So there's a full 10 days that she was missing. And actually now we probably know it was more than 10 days if we count uh, that we believe that she was reported missing and possibly killed on the 27th of August. So this uh, case is full of you know, who done it's what happened, uh, what if, a lot of second guessing, and we're here to address all of those situations. One of the things today was that the FBI arrived at the, um, the laundry family house with search warrants. They went through the house. They, uh, they invoiced the Ford Mustang car uh, that owned by the family. And I would just like to, uh, Joe Murray, what do you think the FBI was searching for in that house with via a search warrant? Well, you know, what what preempted this was the recovery of the body. So there was definitely something about the body that I believe uh, 
uh, may have been uh, transported back or, or, you know, something that they thought may have come back from the crime scene. Um, let's just say even the location, like the physical location, if there was uh, certain weeds or woods or flowers, plants, some kind of material, now they know what to look for and they go back to the house and they look to see, because they're trying to link him to this. This is the, the nexus that they have to create. It's more than just finding her and finding a cause of death. We need to find who caused the death. So linking them together with material from the crime scene that might be in the house, that to me would be the obvious connection. Joe, you know, you used a, a good term in criminal justice and also in, in evidence, the, the term linkage. And normally in a case where we don't know how uh, Gabby was killed. If there was a struggle beforehand, she would potentially have uh, DNA under her fingernails belonging to her attacker. Now, she was out there for potentially 23 days. A lot can happen to a body in 23 days. Phil, you want to talk about that? Yeah, I do, Bill. Um, I just want to back up a little bit. Uh, I want to acknowledge a person by the name of Jen Bethune, a family travel blogger. And the reason I'm mentioning her, as everyone knows, she went back into videos. She does videos and posts them online. And she was in that area. And a friend of hers said that this young girl, um, Gabby, was missing, Gabby Petito. And uh, to look through her videos, she was the one that actually found the location of the van. And that was so important because that led to the discovery of her remains. That's where they concentrated the search. They actually blew up the, the video that she had. They saw that the hat was on the dashboard. So that was very, very important. Um, and I'd just like to really um, acknowledge her, Jen Bethune, B-E-T-H-U-N-E. -E. Phil, um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to put that on the screen because I think it's okay. that that important. So we're going to play this Absolutely. on the screen and uh, so everyone can see this. To 6.30 p.m. This is at the Spread Creek Dispersed Camping Area. We, um, we got there and there was a huge gravel lot and we decided we wanted to try to drive more toward the back because we had heard the views were better back there. So we were heading back on this long dirt gravel road. And we came across a white van that had Florida plates, a small white van. We were going to stop and say hi because we're from Florida too, but the van was completely dark there was nobody there so we decided to continue on our way yeah the van looked like it was pretty much uh kind of abandoned we figured maybe they were out hiking or they were just chilling inside there was no doors open you know it was just um just kind of you know neat to see a florida plate you know on the other side of the country it's not something you see all the time but we wanted to include this in the video just in any way that we can help and get this out there to be able to find Gabby Petito. So if you could share it, if you know anything, um, please don't hesitate. Yeah, we're as we're coming up on it, we're approaching it up here on the left-hand side. This is most definitely Gabby Petito's Ford Transit van. It's kind of wild, like it's sane a little bit because we drove past... We actually weren't able to find any sites and we ended up driving back through, saw it again, but here it is on the left. So, and I slowed it down so you can. I'm going to just stop it right there because we Perfect, had mentioned, we had mentioned before that the hat on the dashboard 
was like a dead giveaway because that was the hat that was seen in the car stop by the Moab police. And it's sort of become infamous. So one of the things and why this is so important, because these people are truly heroes in New York city. We always say, if you see something, say something. And they did say something and they didn't put it stupidly out on YouTube. They reported it to the authorities, which is where you need to report it. You don't put it out on YouTube and, you know, and look, they, they benefited from this anyway on the channel and they got a million nine, 1.9 million hits or something, but they did the right thing and they reported it to the police. And there was no doubt that that's the van. And what this did, and Phil, go ahead, you talk about what it did. Well, I know well you- basically, I'm glad you, you froze it right there, Bill, because as you can see, there is the ladder on the back, which was described in the All Points Bulletin, that the van was this type of van, had that ladder. But you really can't make out the plate number. However, if you look in the passenger window, if you if, if we could have blew that up, that would have been perfect. But the actual authorities did. And you can see the hat that's on the dashboard. That same exact hat is in the... April 12th police uh, uh, body one camera video. And so that's how they knew we were dead on that. This was the vehicle in question. Now, what that did was this was given to law enforcement. It allowed them to target this area for the search. And lo and behold, in less than a day, her remains were found. Unfortunately, she was found um, deceased, but this was very, very important. Now, going back to the crime scene. Now, whatever that crime scene looked like, I think Joe really hit the nail on the head with that. The search warrant today is going to be anything possibly that could uh, steer them in the direction of the son's location and anything that could connect him to the crime scene. Like Joe mentioned, there might be certain specific leaves, uh, trees, plants that grow only in that area. They might find Uh, traces of that in the vehicle. They may find traces of that in the home. Now he was back at that house on September 1st. So he was in and around the location. He may have been out in the yard. Maybe he hid bloody clothing. We don't know what went on. So that's what the FBI is going to look at. Also any communications in that house, cell phones, um, uh, laptops, any home computers, they're going to do a deep dive into those things to see if there was any kind of communication, email or otherwise, that would maybe implicate him in this horrible, horrific situation. But again, that uh, blogger, her name is uh, Jen Bethune, and her uh, husband have the Red, White and Bethune uh, blog. They did the right thing. We have to applaud them. Uh, this was very, very important in finding her location, and it was very important to the criminal investigation. As Bill said, it went on for over 20 days that she really was missing. We think she was killed somewhere around the 27th because that's when this video was taken. And again, like I said, the uh, the search concentrated in that area. I don't know how far from that exact location that the, the remains were found, but it couldn't have been too found because it was found. Uh, her, her remains were found relatively quickly. Possibly see it a little bit better. Got it. Kind of freaky. For a you see the hat pretty good right there. That's the hat in question that identifies the vehicle as being her vehicle from the car stop on the 12th, August the 12th. I would not recommend it. Uh, just don't do it. Go on a different night because this sucks. Welcome back to Red, White, and Bethune. This month, we're doing something really special. Some of you may know that back in 2011, we lost our son, Ethan, in a car accident on the way to Disney for his seventh birthday. Really heroic people, that they they really did the right thing. And they're so narrowed down 
the search area that the FBI and the police were able to find her. And, you know, that's that whole thing. And I can't say it enough times. If you see something, say something. And sure enough, these people saw something and said something and actually videoed it too. Joe, your feelings. I love it. I absolutely love it. And, uh, you know, I just, I knew that something similar was going to happen. You know, I always think back to the 93 bombing, remember the trade center and, you know, sifting through the rubble and going through everything. They found the VIN number of that rider truck that was used. Like when you dig, dig and dig, you'll find stuff. And I, I was just hoping with all the attention that was coming to this case that people would dig and look through their videos and find something. And, and here it is. You know, I want to just touch upon uh, what, again, and uh, Phil was doing it before, what the FBI was looking for. And, you know, potentially there could be some linkage. We don't know. I, I would have thought that they would may have waited till the completion of the autopsy to do this search warrant because they don't. we don't know at this point how Gabby was killed, whether she was pushed off a cliff or whether it was blunt trauma, whether she was strangled. We won't know that, but we'll know that uh, post-autopsy. They will probably also do a toxicological test as well as processing, processing the body for, for, for evidence, which is the pathologist's uh, job uh, to provide that, the forensic evidence. Now, one of the things that I'm hearing all the time that to me is deeply disturbing is when you hear the local police and the FBI say that Brian is a missing person. That is outrageous. First of all, one of the first things that you learn, a missing person is not someone who is a suspect or wanted for a crime. And he is potentially wanted. He's absolutely a suspect. I want to hear that phrase, person of interest, ever again. He is absolutely 100% a suspect. And so when they're pretending that he's the missing person, it's just it, I don't think it helps things. You know, Bill, there's something that I wanted to touch on uh, with regard to search, uh, uh, maybe uh, not so much a search, but maybe possibly videos. On August the 24th, um, there's a, a timeline that has them uh, leaving a hotel in Utah, the SLC Hotel. Now, now, they may want to go back and look at possibly the room to see if there was any indications of a struggle or a fight. You know, of course, the, the, the obvious, uh, there was that uh, August 12th, uh, dispute between um, Brian and Gabby. And, you know, there might be video. There might be a breakfast room. There might be a restaurant. Video of them. Maybe there's a, a gym they were in or maybe some video somewhere in and around that uh, hotel, that location, that might show them engaged in uh, physical altercations again or him being uh, overly aggressive with her, whatever. These are all things that will play into a prosecution down the line. I think that's kind of important. It's only a day or two before we think she well, it was uh, her last contact was the 25th. This is the 24th, the day before. And we think in and around the 27th could be, we'll know better after autopsy, uh, what they believe the time of death is, or, or, you know, an approximate time of death. Um, so again, that may, may fall into this. I'm sure there's, uh, Plenty of investigators looking into all of these things uh, that that may come into uh, play. And again, along the route of him leaving Utah with her vehicle and going back to Florida, he must have stopped for food and gas, restrooms, whatever. And we can now have videotape of him alone. 
So that's going to, you know, that's something that could be uh, uh, used at prosecution to say he was in Utah with her. We know he was up to this point. And now we have him fleeing back to Florida and we have video of him. And you don't see, you know, uh, gas stations, most of them will have video by the pumps. It'll be clear that he's not, she's not in the vehicle. If he's alone, maybe he goes in to pay or whatever, and maybe takes a bathroom break. They may have the whole trip, you know, the whole trip that he took based on his cell phone. They might be able to recover every stop he made and show him not in her presence. And now he's going to have to, and we have a defense lawyer right here with us that can talk about that. He's going to have to put up a defense and say, what was the reason in your three-day trip back to Florida that she wasn't with you? We, we have video of it. Explain that, you know? You want to comment on that, but, Joe? But you know something, uh, Phil? I think also uh, the pathologists will be able to pretty much uh, pinpoint within a day or two the time of death. And I think that uh, that's also going to be, you know, uh, scientific evidence of when, uh, how long she's been dead. One of the things that, of course, makes that difficult is the fact that the body was outside for nearly 23 days. And with the elements, the heat, the animals, all that, the uh, the humidity, which decomposes a body quicker. But uh, those are some of the things that will be evidence when an arrest is made in this case. You know what, Bill? I agree with you that the decomposition is going to play a big role. But there's deep body tissue. Like, for instance, if they want to take a... Uh, a sample for toxicology, they might go right into the heart where there's a pool of blood. That would probably be the most preserved. It's the center of the body. It's protected by the rib cage. Hopefully uh, the body was intact enough where they can do something like that. That would give them a good indication of toxicology. It might give oxygen levels regarding uh, suffocation and different things like that. And then there may be we don't know how she met her demise. It could be stab wounds. It could be blunt force trauma. It could be a bullet wound. A lot of different things to look at. But uh, I think probably unless, uh, you know, I mean, it seems like the body was fairly intact. I think they're going to have a good crime scene investigation. I think they're going to have a good autopsy result. That's my opinion at this point. I mean, I don't know, you know, if the body was laying in the sun that accelerates the uh, decomposition greatly. And then at night it gets uh, chilly, what they said in that area. That helps to preserve. So there's a lot of elements that come into play. Animals, obviously, um, you know, bugs that, that'll eat flesh and stuff like that. But uh, let's let's focus on the, uh, the autopsy tomorrow and see what it yields. I think that uh, we might have a, a you better know, idea. You know, Joe, but, Joe, before we go to you, and I'm, I want to ask you a question. I spoke to Barbara Butcher who is the uh, former chief of staff of the uh, New York City office of the chief medical examiner's office. And I said, a body that was out in the, in the elements for 23 days, I said, would the tattoos still be evident? And she said, that all depends, as, uh, depends upon whether the flesh was still there. And I know that um, Gabby had uh, a tattoo on her arm of let it be. And now I don't know specifically how they made the identification. Her clothing, obviously, she probably was wearing familiar clothing. Maybe she had a piece of jewelry on that the family recognized because they made a pretty quick ident identification from the scene. And I didn't think that they would rush to do that because if you make a mistake in that, there's no forgiveness for that. So they, the FBI must have been pretty sure that they had the right person. If you watched... The press conference with the FBI, the uh, senior agent in charge was pretty upset when he was given that press conference. You want to comment on that, Joe? Yeah, I think, you know, these are good 
good thoughts here. The uh, one concern I have is that I do think, and you brought it up, that we are because of social media and news and the, and the instant gratification that people want, we are giving out information, I think, just a little too quickly. Uh, we're making determinations like this positive ID, which was not officially in a positive ID. I mean, I just don't like it. I think it's being sloppy and irresponsible, you know, quite frankly, because there was a lot of work that needs to be done and this is going to face scrutiny in a courtroom and, and, you know, the crucible of a trial and experts. And when you make mistakes like that, judgment calls, it's, it's not good. It's not good. For Joe, you know, I happen to 100% agree with you. That's why I was very surprised that they released the identity yesterday because pending definitive uh, identity, which, of course, DNA will be the slam dunk, that'll be the the total uh, answer that this is, in fact, who we said it was. I agree that they – I think they try to pacify the media. They try to pacify social media by giving this information out too quickly. Who did it really help? They could have told okay. the family and just said, "This is we think it's her, but pending uh, DNA, we're not going to release the information. You know, that's a good point, Bill. And um, I think in New York, I mean, listen, I don't know how they came to the conclusion and they said publicly, we believe it to be her body. Maybe they saw the tattoo to let it be tattoo on the arm. And that might have been, you know, her physical description, blonde hair, blue eyes. Maybe they were able to tell those things. But, uh, you know, I, I can refer back to New York where, uh, you know, there was always in the invention of the cell phone. I can remember a chief telling me who was a detective chief getting to the scene of, of something and, and the police commissioner's office is calling him and asking for things. And he, he had just gotten there and, and, you know, things are accelerated sometimes. So again, I would have probably erred on the side of caution and just say, yes, a body was recovered. It was a female. However, we're going to wait till we have a, a, a positive identification. They chose not to maybe because there's so much media retention. I mean, this is a worldwide case. I mean, if you saw the outpouring of support in the, in the chats uh, on our show and on duty Ron show, uh, it was just, it was really something to see. So there was a lot of people plugged in. Maybe they did it for that reason. I don't know. I, I would tend to believe that they were pretty certain that it was hard because I would tend to believe those, those identifying marks like the tattoos, there was probably something really standing out that they decided to do that. I don't think it was just, uh, you know, a female found in that area and they says, all right, this is her. It's probably a little more than that. Wouldn't you think, Bill? I think so. Yeah. I think there was probably uh, maybe one of the tattoos was visible. Maybe she had a piece of jewelry that was unique to her. She had a, uh, she had a, a watch too. Uh, the, one of those eye watches, the. Uh, right. Know, but the, you know what, I, what I'm saying is look, and being in homicide, I've, I've seen hundreds of bodies and a lot of you folks in the chat have no idea what a body looks like after 23 days and especially out in the elements. So I know everyone's saying, Oh, they could tell it was a, well, you can it's tell it was that easy. her. Right. That you easy. can tell it was her when the DNA comes back because right. Right. it's not you know, a definitive identification on the scene until you get DNA. Go ahead, Joe. I also want to throw out there too. Listen, we're looking at potentially a homicide here where somebody, you know, you know, contributed to her demise and perhaps secreted the body, maybe partially buried it. We don't know yet if this body was just left exposed out the elements. It could have been secreted. So it might have been in a better condition than we think. So I, I, I think until we know those facts, it's really not, 
you know, it's not good policy for them to just jump out and explain it without that context. We really don't know, you know, so. You know, Joe, I, I think you're a hundred percent right. But what, what you said before is that the uh, immediate need for everyone to know, uh, th there is no immediate need. Now I want, I want to ask a, a big question of you, Joe, and, uh, I have my own opinion on this, but Brian Laundrie appears. Is he arrestable right now? I don't think so. And I don't think it's smart to arrest him now because as soon as you arrest the defendant, you trigger their Sixth Amendment rights. So all, all their procedural discovery, all of their rights are, are triggered and you're putting the, sp the speedy the trial, right? The speedy trial, right? The speedy right. trial. So you're you're really putting yourself under the gun. Joe, explain that to the people in the chat what it means to indict someone and the speedy trial um, law, you, the rule. We have our constitutional rights, our fourth, fifth, sixth, you know, eighth amendment. There are so many constitutional protections afforded to us and criminal defendants that uh, are essential uh, to honor and respect, and the government has to uh, honor them. So. When, uh, for example, speedy trial, there's a certain definitive time that you have to move this process along. So if you're not ready and you don't have your evidence and you're not yet prepared with your investigation, you're hurting yourself by going too quickly. Take the time it's necessary. There's statute of limitations, usually for homicide, don't exist. You can take as long as you want to build that case and present your case. But once you trigger the defendant's constitutional freedoms, the clock is running and, and you're putting yourself under the gun. So that's why it should not be rushed. And I don't think people fully understand that. That's a, And if uh, the prosecution has to answer ready, and, and if they're not ready and the, the defense says we're ready to go, that could be a, bad, a poor prosecution, poor preparedness. Right. So that, that's a good point, and I'll explain that a little bit. It's not just a running calendar day. When the prosecutor comes to court, they have to announce, okay, we're ready to proceed. Right. The defense may say, well, wait a second, we're, we want to challenge certain things and file motions and challenge the warrant and controvert you know, some of the evidence that was presented, uh, seek suppression. That now is on the defense time. It's not chargeable to the prosecutor, so it goes back and forth who's accountable for the time based on what is desired and requested of the court. But when the prosecutor takes on a prosecution and they start that process through the arrest and the arraignment, <clears throat> it automatically triggers their immediate constitutional protections and speedy trial is one of them. So they, they really have a limited time to get this case. And it's not just um, presenting it ready. You have to go forward with suppression hearings, bring in your witnesses, then start the trial. So, so Joe, what, what really what, what you're saying in, in a, a lot of legal uh, language is that, and I, I'm, I'm not putting you down for that, I wish I could speak like that, is that <laughs> he's not arrestable right now because they don't have a strong enough case yet against him. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to disagree with that, but go ahead, Joe. Go ahead. When you say arrestable, the legal process is probable cause that he committed a crime. So there, there could be, based on the search warrant and the, the investigation that was already ongoing, uh, that there was probable cause that he um, committed a crime. They could arrest him. He is arrestable if they have that 
meet that standard. It's a very low standard. What I think is happening is they know that arresting him is not enough. They need a conviction. And for a conviction, you need proof beyond a reasonable doubt. So what they're doing is they may already have probable cause. He is arrestable, but they're putting their case together, solidifying it so that it's stronger and they can persuade 12 individuals. Yes, he committed each and every one of these elements by proof beyond a reasonable doubt. All right. So Joe and Phil and Phil, he turns up. Do we lock him up? Okay. Here's what I'm going to say about that. I'm going to put on my prosecutor hat a little bit here. Now, he shows up right now. I am sure that he would be arrested for something. Probably not the murder because they didn't do the autopsy yet. They probably didn't finish all the crime scene. What I'm thinking is unauthorized use of the vehicle because if they say we think she was killed back then, he's in that vehicle, I'd say unauthorized use of the vehicle, number one. And number two, did he use her credit cards or anything, any of her stuff between the time when we – now, if the, if the uh, uh, autopsy can say conclusively, we believe she was dead for two weeks, okay, or, or, or 10 days or whatever it is, and he used the card on this day, I would implore a judge as a prosecutor to say grand larceny credit card, unauthorized use of a vehicle – the victim in this case is DOA. He may be charged with her murder sometime in the future. We'd like a high bail to hold him. That's what I would be looking for at this point. Now, in my opinion, I think he offed himself. I, I don't think he, if, if he's really in that area, I think he may have offed himself already. Uh, from what I understand, there's wild boar in that area. How much food did he take with him? He's gone five or six days, whatever it is. Tomorrow's going to be a week. I don't know. Uh, either the family led the police in that direction to let him get away someplace else, which I doubt because it seemed like they really put a lot of effort into the search for him or he's somewhere out there and he, he offed himself. I mean, you know, again, you know, Phil, let, is, I would try to arrest him for something, for something. Let me, let me just give the definition of probable cause to the folks that are in uh, the chat. F probable cause of facts and circumstances that indicate uh, a crime was committed and that the person arrested committed the crime. That is the definition word for word. So is it a high bar, a low bar, a medium bar? You can lock someone up, but then you got to prove it. You got to prove that. And Joe, I, I know you want to comment on that. Yeah, I, I think, you know, Phil, your thinking is, is right. And you want to take somebody who's a flight risk into custody as soon as possible but there, there really is no way to charge unauthorized use, the, the stolen car, the credit cards, without her to say he had no permission authority to do so. He and uh, Gabby both went on this trip together. They were driving together, sharing you know, their living space together. But who, uh, who's the car registered to, Joe? What that it doesn't matter. Do? It doesn't matter. He had uh, I, permission and, and authority to use it based okay, on I, them being I, I together. Permission to drive my car. It's it's not an issue. Okay. But until she comes forward and says no, he no longer had permission or authority. Well, now, then I would I would I would look for an outstanding traffic violation, something to hold him on. There would there has to be something that they could hold him on. I would think, or like I said, the, the grand larceny. If he used a credit card when she's already dead, that's a that's a, a grand larceny credit card. No, no, it's not because he may have had permission to use it and was unaware that she was dead. You well, know, I think you have an extenuating circumstance here, though. She's dead. You know what I mean? If she, they can prove definitively she was killed sometime in, you know, 
uh, mid to late August. And now it's, he's using the card in, in early September or something to that effect. I think that, uh, listen, as we said, I wouldn't want to go ahead. I agree with you that yeah. I wouldn't want to go ahead with a homicide charge without there being uh, a good case that we know we're going to prosecute and we're going to win. I agree with that. I don't want to start the clock ticking on the right to speedy trial part of it. But I think if he appears, uh, you know, having him anywhere is going to be not good. There's going to be media attention is going to be, he's better off in custody of the police. He's better 100%. off in custody of law enforcement. You know, we're, we're going to dig into this deeper. We're going to take a quick commercial break. Anyone has to go to the bathroom. This is the time to do it. We're going to take a quick break here and Philly, you can, uh, Joe Murray, attorney at law. So glad to have you back today, Joe. God bless and glad you're feeling better. Have you found yourself in a jam? Are you in need of legal counsel in the New York area? Do you need a victim's advocate? Well, Joe Murray is your man. He's not only an experienced trial attorney, he's also a retired 15-year member of the NYPD. He knows both sides of the fence. His website is jmurray-law.com. That's jmurray-law.com. And his telephone number is 646-838-1702, 646-838-1702. Or you can email Joe at joe at jmurray-law.com. That's joe at jmurray-law.com. And you can see by today's show, he's still as sharp as a tack. Folks, Police Coffee is an officer-owned business dedicated to crafting the finest coffees and blends. They'll provide you with the freshest coffee available. Each batch is roasted fresh by people who know what it means to stay vigilant. And our specialty coffees do not waste one drop when flavor is concerned. Our coffee is some of the best you'll find, but it also helps serve an important cause, giving back to our community. 50% of our profits go towards helping family members of police officers who fell in the line of duty. To order coffee and related products from policecoffee.com, go to the website. There are over seven types of coffee to choose from, and 50% of the profits go to officers, families in need. For a 10% discount, use code OTC10. That's off the cuff 10. Again, the website is policecoffee.com. You know, I as I said before, I, tomorrow is the uh is the autopsy. So hopefully tomorrow, sometime tomorrow, at least law enforcement will know what the cause of death is. That's very important because in the search for the evidence, the search warrant in the house, and I'm sure they'll keep that search warrant open for a few days. They don't want it just to close the search warrant one day because they may, may want to go back and they may be looking for something that they found out due to this autopsy. You want to comment on that, Joe? You know, just before I do that, I want to end with, uh, Pointing out the obvious, I mean, I feel I, I admire your your desire to get him into custody, but think about things like bail reform. There would be no way a judge could compel him to custody for a property crime or, you know, a, a stolen car or something like that. It's just it doesn't happen anyway. Uh, but I do agree with you. It, it's better to have him in custody. And, you know, when you put somebody in a cell, it really, you know, works on them and they start thinking about what happened and where they're going and what's going on. And if this is a death penalty case, you know, it could it could motivate him. So there are interests that are, are triggered, you know, by having somebody in custody early, especially someone who's a flight risk, apparently, you know, from what we see here. But uh, to go back to your question, Bill, the uh, the issue of uh, what were we talking about, the. Uh, the uh, Oh, I'm sorry. What was your question? I drew a blank. Phil, Phil isn't uh, his mic isn't working. Oh, 
we were talking about uh, the the issue of uh, you know whether he should be arrested yeah. or whether he should be kept out there. Right. Go ahead. Go ahead, uh, Joe. Okay. Yeah, Phil. I, uh, I can you hear us, Phil? I mean, you, I lost the sound on Phil. Right? Yeah, I did too. Oh, Phil, okay. I lost. We lost your uh, sound. We lost your mic. Yeah, we're not. Maybe Phil, maybe sign out and come back in. That might uh, uh, solve the problem. Blondie ten twenty five. Thank you so much for the four ninety nine super chat. Thank you for all you do. Our true crime community, gentlemen, love your channel. Thank you so much. We love uh, commenting on these cases. We love dissecting these cases. Um, we all we did this kind of work, obviously, for the NYPD. And um, these these missing person cases are, are very very difficult. Uh, to solve and and they're very diff there's very difficult legal issues in these cases also it's very frustrating you know Phil, just, phil's mic still isn't working he's still how's working. now oh there you go you're back you're some back. people were saying good keep phil quiet for a while oh. <laughs> i accidentally <laughs> I asked, listen isn't this supposed to be about talking it's a conversation of so. course i'm just breaking your chops no, that's, that's what I cops do muted my microphone that's what that was <laughs> He's so nervous he muted his microphone. You know, folks, if you're not uh, subscribed to Police Off the Cuff, please go on our YouTube, hit the subscribe button, ring that bell, give us a thumbs up. We also have a Patreon. Uh, people join our Patreon. And we just recently have a huge membership where we're pushing 40 or 42 members right now. And that would be great if you join the Police Off the Cuff family. Uh we're planning on taking this to the races. We're taking this as far as we possibly could. I think we got the talent. We got the connections. And, you know, some people like Joe Murray are becoming uh, YouTube superstars. If, if this was Cosmopolitan magazine, he could be on the cover. You know, I don't know. <laughs> Listen, I got to tell you, I mean, this this community that I've experienced through you guys and Duty Ron it's unbelievable. I mean, the, the people that I have met in this community and, and, you know, watching how people are just so involved in all of these cases and they're so invested in them. And I got to tell you, it's impacted me. I mean, I'm a, I'm a professional, I'm a criminal defense attorney, but watching this case and, and this kid refusing to cooperate and give information and lawyering up, how frustrating that was. You know, we're all fathers and of, of daughters and you know, my daughter's 23 years old, and I'm only imagining if I was in that family's position, and God bless them for the strength that they've exhibited through this, because, you know, with the people we know, I could have put a team together to arrange for a meeting with me and this kid, Brian, that probably would have involved a blowtorch and a pair of pliers. I mean, that's how, <laughs> how compelling it was. I'm with you on that. You, you know, you know, Joe, some of the people, like, they say that. And, you know, like, uh, even one of the broadcasters said, why can't we just grab them by the throat and shake them? Like, well, this is yeah. America. And you can't, you can't do that, you know? Of course you can't. But it drove the emotions of people. I just saw it in, in all of your shows and, and Duty Ron, like, the, this case has really stirred up such strong emotions in people. So I love this community. I love what we're doing here. It, it, it's fantastic what you do for advocates of, I mean, not for, for advocates, but advocating for victims. So I, I absolutely love it. And I, I'm so happy to participate with you guys. 
You know, one of the things I just wanted to mention, and it's sort of water under the bridge, but people in the chat, they won't, they don't seem to want to let it go. And that is whether the Moab police uh, made a mistake in the car stop, uh, whether someone should have been arrested or whether they acted properly. Phil, I saw you shake your head. I'm going to let you answer that. Listen, I said it before. I'm going to say it again. I don't think there was a more professional uh, interaction with law enforcement on a, a dispute between two people, uh, a domestic dispute. Um, if you had a look up in, in a police science book or in the police academy uh, literature, that would be the textbook. I think they handle it 100% exactly the way they should have. I don't know what the guidelines are for arrest in, in Utah, but uh, in New York, uh, if there's a physical injury, it's domestic violence. It's a must arrest situation. As far as I know, it could be changed. I'm retired a few years, but the bottom line is that they separated the two people and that's textbook and police science. You separate them. What I mean by that is they didn't separate them at the moment. They made him go to a hotel. They made her take the vehicle. They met up the next day and they went on their merry way. Now had the uh, uh, murder been committed. I'm calling it a murder at this point. And I mean, all indications are it's that, uh, if some harm came to her within hours or the next day, then I would say, well, maybe there could have been something that they missed. Maybe there was a little bit more to it that they didn't pick up on, but I don't think so. I think this was, uh, obviously some type of a domestic dispute. Uh, he had a little mark on his face. There was a, a, a cell phone that, uh, he claimed that she had in her hand when, when she was trying to get his attention to pull over, when she saw the police lights that hit him in the face. I don't think from what I can see, and I watched that body camera. You know, Phil, I'm just going to put it on the screen. I'm going to put it on the screen uh, quickly so we could just see it. I won't play the whole thing. Sure. Distracting him from driving. I'm sorry. Can I get you to step out of the vehicle for me, man? Yeah. Just hang tight right there. Um, do you mind if I take your keys and just put them on your hood? You got it, buddy. I'm so Thank sorry. You. Oh, no, you're fine. I'm going to go ahead and close your door. How much more of you? SO229, I have the female that was on the passenger seat separated from the male. Keys are on the hood. You want to tell me what's going on? Yeah, I don't know. It was something. <laughs> I have really bad OCD, and okay. I just—I was just cleaning and straightening up back of the van before, and I was apologizing to him and saying, "I'm sorry that I'm so mean because sometimes I have OCD and sometimes I just get really frustrated. I'm not like mean towards him. I just like—I guess my vibe is like I." I am like in a bad mood. And I was just saying, I'm sorry if I'm in a bad mood. I'm just really stressed. I had so much work I was doing on my computer this morning. What do you do for a living? Um, well, I, I hate squirt getting an organic juice bar, but I just hit my job. Okay. I was a nutritionist. That's, oh, what, okay. that's my that's job. Cool. And I just got hit my job to travel across the country. And I'm trying to start a blog. Okay. Have a so I've been building my website. So I've been really stressed. And, yeah, I didn't really believe that I could do any of it. Just kind of been like a, I don't know. He's like in, down there. I don't know. We've just been fighting all morning, and and he wouldn't let me in the car before. And then Why I, wouldn't he let you in the car? Because you told me your OCD. Told me I needed to calm down. Yeah, <laughs> but I'm perfectly calm. I'm calm all the time, and he really stresses me out. And I just, I, this is a, 
rough morning. Well, why don't we do this? Why don't I sit you down in the back seat of my car? You're not in any trouble, okay? <laughs> I'm not going to be putting handcuffs on you. You obviously don't have any weapons. I'm going to get you into the air conditioning, let you take a breath, relax a little bit, and then I'll come back and talk to you in a few minutes, okay? Okay. All right. Like I said, you're not in any trouble. So just go ahead and take a seat. I'm just going to speed up to, Brian. Yeah, to Brian. Tell him. Tell him what happened. So if you don't mind, start at the beginning part. Oh, they got us with a commercial. Yeah, they, they hit us I, I want, can I point something out, Bill, while you're doing that? Or you go ahead. To... Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Uh, what out. I wanted to point out is she said from the words out of her own mouth were, we've been fighting all morning. He asked me not to come back in the car, but I want to continue. And the flies here are like pretty intense. So the flies have definitely been getting to her. And then my feet are dirty and everything. So I think that our little squabble started because you're, you're hanging out at the coffee shop. And when I got back to the van, there was some dirt in So it was, just, it was just more of a disagreement than that. I just wanted to say. What was the disagreement about? It was, it was, I wouldn't even call it disagreement. It was just that I, I'm dirty and I can't change being dirty. Like I got dirty feet, I got sand in my flip-flops and stuff like that. Um, it was that we were at the coffee shop for so long because we were there from nine to three. So yeah, there's a few little little things, little, just little relationships. I don't know if you're in a relationship, but I'm sure I've been married for over five years now. So. There's a lot of little things. That, you know, yeah, I can go. Um, and we, we, yeah, we really... Was, we weren't physical before the point where I said, "All right, let's let's just take a breather and, and like walk away for a minute. I'll lock the van up and I'll go for a walk this way, and you can go walk down that way in the block. You know, there's that moon, I was a couple moon flower. Right, yeah. yeah, nice areas. You can go either way. It's all shaded. So let's just go for a little walk and breather. Come back. Just breathe. Yeah, we're happy. But, um, but they, but she's. I said I'm not upset with her. She got a little worked up and she had a phone in her hand and her keys and everything. And she wanted. I wanted to get to the point where physical she's pain or physical impairment. Was that what you were attempting to do? To what were you? This is the most important question that was uh, asked by the police during this stop. And there's a couple of things I want to point out. Well, about. Okay. Right eye. This is the most important question yeah. here. This is a very, very important question. How you answer this question is going to determine what happens next. But the only person who can answer this question is you. Think very hard before you answer the question. Do not quickly answer it. Think very hard. When you slapped him those times, were you attempting to cause him physical pain or physical impairment? Was that what you were attempting to do? What were you what were you attempting to do? What was the reason behind the slapping and stuff? 
What was what was it you were attempting to accomplish by slapping? I was trying to get him to stop telling me how What doesn't sound to me like she attempted to injure him? Now, what did she say to Bill? She said, I was trying to get him to stop. I couldn't hear what the, yeah, the I, I didn't get that, that either. But there, there's a couple of things I want to point out before that. There were two instances where, one, when he was sitting on the curb, which we didn't get to see that, but he was sitting on the curb at one point, and they asked him for his identification, and he said, it's in the car. And uh, the, the the cop said, uh, you know, uh, can you go get it? And and he, he, he didn't want the cop to go get it, and the cop just said, all right, give me a name. So he hesitated. I don't think he wanted the cops in the vehicle. Then again, when, uh, when he was talking about the water right there, uh, the one cop was going to go get him water out of his car. He said, no, no, I'm okay. I don't need water. He didn't want them in the vehicle. Why? That's a question I would be asking. And then uh, the question that he asked her, I mean, she answered it in her own words. Uh, her intention wasn't to hurt him or anything like that or whatever she said. I think she, uh, what I know about it is she said that she was trying to get his attention when she saw the the blue and red lights behind that they were being pulled over. She was trying to get his attention. All right, pull over. We're getting stopped by the police. So, um, you know, they, they really went the extra mile with these two. The only thing short of uh, something that they could have did would have been possibly maybe saying, listen, you're from Florida or you're from New York. Let me get a hold of somebody in your family and tell them what's going on. That might have, you know, uh, convinced them maybe, you know, he's in the hotel, start heading home or jump on an airplane or whatever it is. That's the only thing I could think of. But that's obviously after the fact that we know uh, what happened to her. That that would be the only thing that I could think of maybe, you know, to have notified her family. Uh, but other than that, I think they really did uh, a very thorough uh, interaction with uh, with these two people. It was mutual combatants, in my opinion. They were arguing. It got a little bit physical. There were no great injuries that you could see. So I, I don't want to falter, uh, you know, put fault on the, uh, on the police on this one. I really am trying to be uh, very objective about it, but I don't see anything that they did wrong. Joe, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, just uh, I haven't examined their domestic violence laws, but like under New York State, uh, 14010 of the CPL is, you know, the powers of police officer to arrest. Sub 4 specifically goes to domestic violence. And what they say is that if there's probable cause of a crime, a misdemeanor, probable cause, do not try to reconcile the parties and effect an arrest unless the victim affirmatively tells you, I don't want an arrest. So the issue is not to discuss with them, oh, listen, why don't you go this way, that way? If there's evidence of a crime, you are required, you're mandated to make that arrest unless proactively she would have said, or, or he would have said, no, 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 I don't want her arrested. And that's all you know, so, Joe, there's, there's a, I'm sorry, uh, I just wanted to mention this quickly because I didn't know about this. Powell Kapika says, Bill, he was slapping her. There's an eyewitness. Please acknowledge. I don't, I've never heard that before that he was she, slapping she her. never said that either. She never said that. Yeah. Now, I know that there was someone that called 911. There was a passerby and said that from what my knowledge is, is that they saw a dispute between her and him and she was trying to climb through the driver's window to get back into the vehicle. That's what I know. I never heard that there was an eyewitness that uh, she was being slapped by him, and she never said that. If you look at, if you watch that whole video, she never says that. She never says that. Right, and and just let me continue because now you mentioned Phil mutual combatants. Even mutual combatants are a cross complaint. 
where you can either arrest both or do a primary aggressor determination to see who was really you know, driving this assault, even though both of them have assaulted and injured each other. So domestic violence, depending on the jurisdiction, some jurisdictions like New York are must arrest. It is critically important. You do not try to reconcile parties. You do not try to resolve their issues. You make the arrest. That's the law and we have to follow that. In this case, though, looking at what these officers did, I think they went too far. I don't like the invasion of privacy, the interrogation of people who, you know, they're technically not in custody, but they really are being detained. And they're being asked such invasive questions about what they're doing and where they're going and and what, where do you work? And what's but, but Joe? How else? Well, how else could the police get to the bottom of what happened? I'm just saying, if they're not like, allowed to. As a constitutionalist and believing in fundamental freedoms and holding back the government from intruding on in our lives, it's something that offends me. It's lawful. It's lawful. Right, I want right. to make that clear. I but think I they went that. the extra mile, though, because they saw her state. She was really upset. And yeah. I think as time went on, they put her in the car, the air conditioning. She did calm down. She showed. And she mentioned, you know, they both talk about mental health issues, too. Uh, right. And in the police report, Duty Ron had the actual police report. It was redacted slightly. But they mentioned that they both were on medications for, uh, uh, I don't know if they were psychotropic drugs, but they were both on medications for uh, mental health issues. So, you know, all of these components and uh, initially people saying, oh, they should have uh, they should have brought it to the hospital for mental evaluation. Had she been completely hysterical and talking about, you know, jumping in front of a car or something like that? Yes, I think so. But if you look at the interaction, she didn't appear. She was definitely upset. She was emotional. But as time went on, she seemed to have calmed down. He dialed it down quite a bit. He was he was very smart in his answers and keeping the police out of his car and stuff. So. Uh, you know, you got you got to look at this thing from from the whole every angle. And Joe, you know, you're looking at it from the legal standpoint as a constitutionalist and everything. I get it, but I think that they they really they looked at it like you know this is an innocent young girl, and and they wanted to know what was really going on here. And then when she said that she struck him, and he said that, that's when I think when they answered the question, what was your intent? That's why they didn't make an arrest right there. That was All right, it. Phil. Let me just comment on 99 pink balloons. Thank you for the ten dollar super chat. Love your channel. Same video. The officer with beard informs the other officer. The witness saw Brian hitting Gabby. Same officer tells Brian that Gabby has marks on her also. Any thoughts on the 9-11 call? You know, I mean, if I was called to the scene of a situation like this in New York and I was a boss and, uh, and I was a sergeant, the buck, the buck stops with the boss. So when police officers would call me to the scene, to you're almost like the judge uh, on determining what's going to be the outcome. I, I, I looked at this situation, and to tell you the truth, if anyone was going to get arrested based on what I saw on the scene and the investigation that was done and the marks on Brian's head, I probably would have arrested Gabby. I wasn't aware of the 9-11 call that he slapped her uh, until just now. I wasn't aware of that. Whereupon, maybe both of them, had I known that, maybe I would have arrested both of them. And what that does, it gets the people to cool their heels for 24 hours and think about their relationship and think about what they did. It's Look, we all know now what happened. 
after the fact. So we all have 2020 hindsight. But when I look at this on body one video, I think these cops did a pretty damn good job to tell you the truth. I really do. You know, Bill, about the 911 caller, maybe that 911 caller, uh, you know, when they, they must have called her back or he or she or whoever it was, you know, give us a little more information. Maybe that person said, oh, I don't know. I thought I saw, you know, maybe that part of it is not really that exact. Maybe in their minds they were thinking, well, she was swinging at him and the caller said that the guy was hitting her. And, you know, maybe it was a little bit of confusion. But I would think now in in, in New York, what we would do is we would get the uh, the 911 operator to call the complainant back, to, uh, not the complainant, the caller who called the 911 and ask them for more details about it, you know, maybe come back to the scene. I don't know if any of that was done, but uh, oh, they have. Uh, go ahead. See, uh, CD, thank you for five dollar super chat. There's a brand new 911 tape that TMZ released today. It has a brand new caller calling in saying he witnessed a man in a Florida van slapping her. Uh, you know, one of the problems also with 911 calls is you don't have the witness unless you can call them on the phone physically have in real time. Yeah. yeah, in real time. And even come by and say, yeah, that's the guy, because you can't know if this is the same people he's talking about. He said a van with Florida plates. So, you know, all of this stuff is, is good stuff, and it definitely uh, deserves a police investigation. But what level of investigation can they give it at the scene? I thought that they did a, a hell of a good job at the scene, to tell you the truth. Could I just add, Bill, you know, sure. we all as police officers, you know, we know that you cannot arrest somebody for a violation that did not occur in your presence. Now, harassment is a violation. Slapping someone in the face without causing a physical injury is harassment. Joe, so I'm so glad you, you said that because people don't understand that. Because let's also go one step further. For there to be a completed assault... There has to be a physical injury. Injury. Right. And that would constitute at least a misdemeanor. And in which case, under your powers of arrest, you have authority to make arrests for misdemeanors and felonies that are not in your presence. But you can only make an arrest for an offense that uh, occurred in your presence if it was a violation. Because it's such a, a, a you know more insignificant crime Traffic offenses have to occur in your presence. You can't just show up on the scene of an accident and say, well, you obviously ran the red light. You can't do it. You have to witness it. It's a, it's a traffic offense. It's not a misdemeanor. So that could be the issue there, too, that, okay, they did get information that he slapped her in the face, but without a physical injury, you can't say that I witnessed this and I, I don't have authority to arrest on that basis. Now, again, there was you know, discussion about, well, he slapped her and she hit him. That's two people, mutual combatants. You could do a cross complaint. You could, you know, arrest both, but they have to be both crimes. They can't just be offenses. Uh, they have to be misdemeanors or felonies. It can't just be harassment. And again, that there's, there's good and bad in that. A district attorney can't prosecute a cross complaint. They ultimately end up dismissing both because if I represent Phil and, and you, Phil and Bill, have a fight together, Phil would have to testify and cooperate with the district attorney to prosecute Bill. Similarly, Bill would have to do that. But you're both defendants and have lawyers and, and the right to remain silent. 
So those cases end up getting dismissed anyway. So they usually a district attorney will choose one victim over another to prosecute. So, uh, you know, even in case of a cross complaint like this, uh, I don't even think a prosecution would take place. Joe, uh, you know, I got to add something too. I don't, I don't think that the cops had that information because I think if they did, and I never heard them say, well, did you strike her? Were you hitting her? That's what I, I mean. If, if I had 911 telling me that the caller states that the male was striking the female, I'd be asking them that. It doesn't seem like they, they had that information. It may be possible that that 911 call that they're saying was on TMZ and, and the, the caller says, you know, the male striking the female, that may have actually happened. Right, right. Phil, they didn't have the information in real time. So I don't think it's, so. it's it easy for, TM, like it. for TMZ to come across with this 911 call after the fact that the officers may never have had. Uh, thank you for the $20 super chat. He was the prime suspect. Why wasn't he being monitored? Look, that is one of the things I think at uh, 6.29 p.m. that is, that's what his, his uh, handle is. I think that all of us are shaking our heads with that. Yeah. And I'll tell you a real story one time. There was a serial killer in New York City, and the police were sitting on him. And a boss pulled off the surveillance because of overtime. And I'm not saying they did this in this situation, but that could have been one of the reasons. They pulled off manpower. Yeah, manpower. They don't want to pay the overtime. I don't know what the situation. The guy who was speaking for the Florida police that he got very insulted that they even questioned that. I think it was a, a huge faux pas that they didn't surveil this guy and sit on the house. And at the very least, yes, he was free to go about his life, but at the very least, stay with him, follow him, see where he goes. You know, I think that was a huge, huge mistake. Absolutely, Bill. I think that uh, the, the officer you're talking about, Josh Taylor, he's been the public information officer for the Northport Police, and he was right out there in the beginning. And listen, he probably got a little upset because, like you said, it's egg on their face. They should have had some type of surveillance on him. You know, uh, he goes running out of the house. They could have followed him or whatever. And and listen, it is what it is. Uh, we don't know where his current whereabouts, but there was something else that I commented on yesterday on duty run show and it was culpability of the parents have uh do and i'm glad that uh, joe's on now that we could talk about it because uh one of the uh, uh people in the comment had said um can the parents be arrested and charged with helping him to flee and all these other different things now my opinion at the time yesterday was that based on the fact that she had just been found I didn't think so unless they helped him, aided and abetted him now if he's named as not as a suspect, that he's named as wanted by the police. So if he's wanted by the police and they help him, my opinion is at that point, if they can prove that they helped him, aided and abetted him or hit him or didn't give up his location, then possibly there could be criminal charges against them. I don't know, Joe, you want to pick up on that? Yeah, that's been a question I've seen uh, raised, you know, on, on, on yours and Duty Ron's channel. You know, the parents' culpability, their exposure for criminal liability. And the first thing that struck me is I think people are under this misconception that there's a positive duty to report. There's a duty to report to the police if you learn information about a crime. There isn't. So when they came, when that uh, Brian came home or was in communication with them for all that time period and, and Gabby didn't come home, that as if there was some obligation that they should have contributed to the police investigation and cooperated, there is no obligation for anyone to report anything. Uh, so I wanted to make that clear. 
it's something that inherently just morally bothers us and it bothers me as well but there is no legal duty for them to to report their son what he said to him on the phone or what information he shared with them now when you become an accessory you can become an accessory before the crime during the crime and after the crime if you take action affirmative action to help avoid detection of the crime, like hiding evidence, tampering with evidence, things of that nature. In this case, though, I believe it was reported that he immediately retained counsel and they also represented the parents. So on the advice of counsel, I'm sure they were given proper ethical advice. I have to assume this lawyer was ethical in the way he conducted himself. And they were told what they should and should not do, what type of conduct they should and should not engage in. And I don't think there's anything here as far as liability. When I saw yesterday when the FBI came to execute the search warrant, it is normal when they execute a search warrant, you want to clear the house. You want to see if it's safe. Is there anyone in there? Is there anything that can hurt me in there? So they took them out. They secured them just to be safe I don't think they would take him into custody to actually affirmably charge him with anything, but we'll we'll have to wait to see how that develops. Stand up for what's right. Uh, you ask why in God's name did his name or her name not come up when they ran a background check? This needs to be a training item going forward nationwide. Well, I think they did take their information and they did uh, do a background check from the scene. What would that really have told them? Only if they were wanted or if they yeah. were wanted for a crime. It's not going to tell the officers that did the stop anything about them. And since neither one of them was wanted for a crime, I don't know what that would have done. But thank you very much for your and just super chat and your comments. It, it also could have turned up if they were reported missing, but we know they weren't. So, yeah. yeah. Again, that, that would have been fruitless. But let me just go back to one last thing because we had this discussion about probable cause. You have a great definition. When that officer exaggerated his point, he wanted to ask her this question, that's so unnecessary as far as, and I'm not criticizing him because I love good police work and that's thorough police work. That's going above and beyond because as we discussed, all you need is probable cause, witnessing the injury and having her indicate, yes, he, when he says she caused that to me, that's probable cause. He didn't need to do that. But what he was doing by getting her to confirm, he's t attaching the elements of the crime because an assault is intent to cause a physical injury and cause a physical injury. So that's good police work that he was doing because he was trying to solidify his case beyond probable cause so that it could result in a conviction by getting her to confirm, yes, I did intend to hurt him when I struck him. But, you know, Joe, I just uh, if I could just in interject one thing here. Yeah. What the officer was very clearly trying to do, in my view, was to cover his ass mm -hmm. by asking that question because he knew the question is on body-worn video. Yeah. And if you know how punitive police departments can be, especially yeah. after the fact, oh, this happened, what your actions had to be wrong. You should have yeah. did this and you should have yeah. did that. And you should have did this. So he recognizes that, and he was just trying to cover his ass, which oh, he did pretty I, I, 100%, well. hundred percent. I think it was very thorough. It was unnecessary, but it was thorough. So, you know, I, kudos to him. I used to do it myself. I had shoplifters. I would Mirandize them and try to get statements. Who cared? It was going to be dismissed anyway, ACD. <laughs> I did it for my own, you know, uh, 
trying to develop my own skills. You know, I just want to sort of segue into uh, where do we go from here, Phil? Where where do we go from here in building a case? Where do we go from here? I mean, we don't have Brian. We discussed before if we did have him, would he get arrested or would we just leave him out there and keep building the case? Oh, for sure. We're going to be building a case. I mean, obviously, everything that was collected at the crime scene, the crime scene is where her body was found. I'm sure there's still search going on. Maybe there was something thrown into the uh, woods. Uh, we don't know the condition of the body. We don't know if the body was buried. So there's a lot going on at the crime scene location. There's the autopsy is going to yield evidence, give us indications of how she died, uh, length of time that she was deceased, things of that nature. Maybe there could be some DNA evidence or different things uh, under her fingernails obviously would be looked at for, uh, you know, defensive wounds and different things like that. And then video evidence, cell phone evidence. What I mean by that is, like I said earlier, uh, along the way when he traveled back from Florida, I'd be looking at all, trying to find his locations through uh, cell phone activity, credit card information. I'd be looking for video on all of those locations. Um, statements that he made along the way. Um, you know, the thing that outraged everybody, and Joe touched upon it right in the beginning of the show when he said watching uh, uh, the, the comments and the people that came on to Duty Run show last night and the comments on our show, the outrage was because of this, what I'm going to lay out. They went on a trip together. They were all over the United States together. And then on September 1st, he returns home and her family can't get a hold of him. And they start to try and contact her. They start to try and contact him with no results. They, they shut down. And then they try to contact the family. This is what put the family behind the eight ball and made them look terrible. I mean, if he comes home and the family says, well, where, where where's your girlfriend? Where's Gabby? Uh, you know, we broke up. Well, when the family, when Gabby's family starts contacting them and says, listen, where is she? And they're not, they shut down. They don't tell another. I mean, they had an obligation, a moral obligation, not a legal one, a moral obligation to say, listen, he's back with the van, but you know, he tell, he's telling us they broke up or whatever. They didn't do any of that. And probably on the advice of the attorney, they probably got the, got a hold of the attorney based on whatever he said or whatever he did. They knew something suspicious was going on. They're getting calls from the family. They know she's not around. So that's when the attorney came in and said, listen, guys, shut it down. Don't talk to the police. Obviously, good attorney uh, um, advice. There's nothing wrong with that. But this is what caused the outrage throughout the United States and throughout the world, really, against this guy. I mean, you know, if you have children and that one reporter put it in a nutshell, she wanted to put her hands around his throat and shake it out of him. Give me the information where, you know, what happened to her. He's obviously the last per person to see her alive or the last person to have seen her. We didn't know that she was dead uh, before this, you know, before yesterday. So she, he was the last person and he's the person that had to give the information. As uh, One last thing about the uh, case going forward. If he turns up, if he turns up, there may be an opportunity for him, and we talked about this before the show, that maybe he can proffer some information and, you know, uh, maybe uh, get something taken off a sentence, something like that. That's obviously a possibility going forward, too. Information may come out of him. Or when they get him, maybe on his clothing, he might have been wearing the same shoes that he was wearing back uh, a month ago. So who knows what's going to happen going forward. I'm sure they're looking into all of these things. But uh, if he turns up, 
I don't think he's going to be walking free for very long. That's just my uh, my gut feeling on this. Cindy Luhu, 523, thank you for the 499 Super Chat. And your question is, how will they ever find an unbiased jury? If oh, it gets to that point, it'll be, it'll be difficult. But uh, look, one of the things that many people are predicting, and, and you know, I, I don't want to go into predictions, but, you know, where is Brian? You know, where is he right now? Uh, is, he, is he still on the run? Did something uh, bad happen to him? So we don't know all these things, but everyone wants to know the answers. And, and uh, perhaps tomorrow the autopsy will answer some of our questions. At least we'll answer the how uh, Gabby was killed. Uh, what, what the other thing is, you know, the why or the motive and based on what we're discussing here, seems to be somewhat of a domestic violence issue. And I won't deny that. I think that's uh, that's what we're looking at. Joe, what do you think? Bill, can I just interject? There was a, someone in the chat, uh, Lori C., and she asked the question, why would law enforcement cancel the search for Brian if he wasn't found? Is there has that been confirmed that they really don't know where he is, or is there intel that they know where he is? Look, as far as we know from uh, you know social media and news reports, uh, you know they're they're still listing him as a missing person, which I find to be ridiculous. Yeah, you know, we, we discussed that. that earlier on in the show. So I, I would think they must still be looking for him. You know? I mean, just hypothetically. hypothetically. I, I think, Joe, give me one second. I think what yeah. they might have been, I'm not sure if this is the case, but they might have been, that that comment from that uh, viewer uh, might have been, last night they called off the search when it got late at night, and there was some, uh, you know, uh, uh, people were in an uproar. Why are they stopping the search? You know, you should be searching from 24 hours. They did it because it was late at night. I don't know if that's what they're referring to, but it could be that. I think Joe, Joe also perhaps perhaps they were able with information from the parents to get a, a more specific area to search than they originally had. So, you know, sort of confine it to, you know, 10,000 acres instead of 25,000 acres. Yeah. You, know? you know what, Bill? I think there's only a couple of scenarios that could be possible with regards to his whereabouts. One, he's on the run and the family took the police into that reserve and, and he's not there. He's either on the run or he's in that reserve still alive or he's in that reserve and he offed himself. Now the Carlton reserve uh, is a 25,000 acre wildlife nature preserve. Now, when they started this search, this is going back to yesterday morning uh, or the, even the day before, I guess it could have even been on Saturday. Six agencies were involved with drones, search dogs, over 50 police officers is probably a lot more than now. I'm sure it was ramped up. I don't think that they stopped that search or called off that search. And if they did, they might have good reason why they did that. They have a better idea of what, what his location is or where he is. And uh, we don't know if that's uh, being on the air right now. We don't know if that's true or not true. But if he's in that area, they talked about a lot of different things. If it's really since Tuesday, that's when the family says that he drove there. They went and got the car. So they recovered the car from there. According to what the family's saying, they took the car back because they said he went hiking or whatever he did. Now, how much supplies did he take with him? 
If you're out in the wilderness, you need food, you need water. I don't know if he had a weak supply of food. And then there's these animals, the wild boar and all these other animals that they talked about, snakes and different things. So, And the area is swampy and different things like that, alligators. So there's a lot of different components to him being able to sustain himself in that area. That's why my opinion at this point, he sounds like a coward and he, he may have offed himself. So that's what uh, yeah. you know, what Can I Can I ask you guys, because, you know, I, I ra very much value your opinion. In someone, in a case like this, where I talk about like public enemy number one, people hate this guy. He's, he's stirred up emotions in me that I haven't felt in quite some time. What is the possibility that either he came across someone or somebody hunted him down and abducted him. Joe, <laughs> Joe, you, 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 this, that's like a TV thing. I don't think I mean, so. It, I think it sounds bizarre, but I, I think he's on the family. He seems to have known his whereabouts that he said he was going high. That they went to try and find him and they took the car back. So I don't know if that's, listen, anything's possible. Of course, Joe, anything's possible, but I don't think that's likely in this, this situation, you know, in the beginning, when he went, when uh, Gabby was first reported missing, and the first day that me and Bill went on the air about this, which was a few days ago, I said, if people want to do something, because there were people in the chat saying, I live in Florida, what can I do? I said, if people want to do something, go to the home, uh, uh, chant, where's Gabby? Uh, protest outside the house. I said, get a, 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 a permit if you need to get a permit. Do whatever you have to do. Put pressure on this family. We want to know the whereabouts of Gabby. You know what I mean? So, all of those things caused him to take off and go into either he went into these uh this this nature preserve or he's on the run and you know it's possible that the family may have led the police into that area to do that and he might have been going in the other direction now i don't know we got to try and confirm if the the search was actually called off and why it was called off. I'm sure if, if that's the case, we'll hear about it, but uh, it could be what I said last night. I did hear on the news late last night, like one, one or two o'clock in the morning that there was some uproar that they had called off the search, I guess because it was dark and the searches needed a, a break or whatever, and they're going to resume it in the morning. So that might be what it is. Diamonds and dregs. Thank you for the $5 super chat. Your question is, have any of you ever seen an innocent person run? Thanks Good for your point. show. I'm learning Good a lot. That's 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 yeah, a great point. Several, I, several, several. Joe, you, you're gonna give us you're gonna give us the defense huh. attorney from the cops' point of view. I've never seen an innocent person run. Hundred percent, hundred percent. I had a guy who was a fugitive, a fugitive because he was so afraid. I mean, the evidence against him was pretty strong at that time. But when he came in, and I was so humbled. Here I am, a retired New York City police officer. It was a mutual friend that put him in touch with me. And my first advice to him when he came into my office and, and told me the story is you need to surrender. You're a fugitive. Of course. Of course. Now, in doing so, I, it was the one two old precinct in Staten Island, I had to bring him in. But here I am saying to myself, I am now walking this man in and he's put such faith in me. He's facing 25 years. He may never see the light of day for 25 years. I'm walking him into that precinct. It's such an awesome responsibility. And I was just so flattered that he put his faith in me and trust in me. Now, in return, what did I do with it? I worked my ass off. We investigated this case. We found surveillance video that exculpated him. We went to the grand jury. He testified at the grand jury. I got to tell you, it was the funniest experience. It was my first grand jury presentation in, in uh, Staten Island. 
and you know Staten Island, anyone that, that knows the island, I felt like I walked into the police locker room. It was cops and firemen in this grand jury. And this uh, African-American defendant walked in there. He told the story. We played the video. We showed the surveillance video. It cleared him immediately. We had two other witnesses who were there ready to testify. They didn't want to hear from him. And there was a co-defendant who's been locked up for a couple of months since the crime was committed. My guy was a fugitive and he was immediately released. It was incredible. It was a one. He actually, he's a rapper and he did a rap song based on this case in my office and featured me in it. It's on my website. It's it, it, on the testimonials. Incredible. You know, one thing I just want to say, and uh, folks, a lot of you guys are commenting, uh, about the two people who were murdered in in, in the in the uh, mo the park there, the Grand Teton Park, and the police there have totally cleared any involvement of this case with that case. They've totally cleared that. They said there's no connection whatsoever. So I just want to slam the door on that because many of you could say, "Oh, well, then we have a serial killer here," and they they totally uh, have said that that's it's not related at all to this case. One of the things that we just hope that we are imparting to you is that you ha we have to think and uh, we know the law and you have to work within the parameters of the law and the police can't work outside the parameters. Do they make mistakes? See, we just said that we felt they made a huge mistake in not having surveillance on Brian. And, you know, I'm sure they, they don't like fellow police criticizing them, but I felt I feel that was a huge mistake. And I think... Phil and Joe, you agree with me. So, 100%. but some of the things that you guys think when Joe said to everyone, slapping someone across the face is not an assault. Most people don't want to accept that. But if there's no physical injury, he is 100% correct. That's called a harassment. When I first learned that in the law, I was like, what? I couldn't believe it. But that happens to be the law. I just got to push back a little bit on what Joe said before that, Bill. Um, I get the story you told. I, I fully understand it. That sounds like a great story. I mean, for uh, for just, you know, being in, in the field that you're in as an attorney, as a constitutionalist, sometimes things could look one way and they're actually something else. But in this case, Joe, think about it. He came back to Florida with her vehicle, without her, and never tells anybody anything until she's reported uh, on the 11th of September, that's uh, 11 days later or 10 days later, whatever it is. And that's just such a bad look, makes him look so guilty. And why would he do that? It, what would make him want to do that, that he just leave her in Utah and drive to Florida and not tell her parents anything and ignore, ignore phone calls, text messages, contact from the family. So I, I don't think that a guy would go on the run in that situation unless he had something to hide. That's my opinion. I the, re the real world comments that, uh, and thank you for your $10 super chat, what possible sane reason would the parents think to drive his car back from the Carlton Reserves if they didn't know exactly where he was? Exactly. They put the car there so he would have a way to get the hell out of there. So, yeah, yeah there's culpability there, whether it's criminal liability. I don't know. Joe could speak to that. Yes, let me let me just first address Phil because it was a wonderful analysis, and I just want to address it. I can see, foresee a scenario based on their they are living in these close quarters. They're having these, you know, minor, uh, you know, disputes together, 
where he's even indicated. I locked her out of the car. I told her, go, you go this way, I go that way. I can see a potential scenario where that arose again, where he just said, I'm done now. I'm done. Good luck. I'm leaving. And he walks away and gets in the car and drives home. I mean, that is a potential scenario. Now, all of the other stuff you added about him not cooperating and talking, he went home and consulted an attorney. And I'm sure he explained to the attorney what happened. And the attorney told him, said, okay, you're under no obligation to report any of this, say nothing, be quiet, and, and let's see what happens. It's entirely possible that that happened. I doubt it. I really do. I think he's involved in it. But it's entirely possible. And I, I wanted to address that because as a defense attorney, if I met with this young man and he told me that this is what happened and he walked away and I had not contributed to her demise in any way, that might be something that would trigger me to go and offer a proffer session because you can, during a proffer, it's a wonderful tool. I use it all the time. If you're under suspicion of criminal activity and you're not responsible criminally, you can you have an absolute right not to say anything from beginning to end until there's a ver verdict. You have no obligation to talk. However, the district attorney recognizes that and appreciates it and will allow you to come in under a contract to allow you to tell your story to convince them I had nothing to do with it. And I can foresee going in there and him saying, look, we had a series of arguments. There were a couple of domestic uh, incidents, nothing that got crazy, but I decided I can't do this anymore. And I took the car and drove home. I don't know what happened to her. In that case, the district attorney would investigate the information he gave, whether it was the last you know, moments of their you know, interactions, where they were, they would appreciate that and they would investigate it. But if for some reason they still felt he was criminally liable under that contract, they could not use his own words. They'd have to present their own case and use their own evidence. It's a great and valuable tool for somebody who's not guilty. Now, in the event that he was guilty and told me and shared with me, yeah, I did. I stabbed her. I couldn't. I buried her under this thing and whatever. I would do my own analysis and I would talk to them and say, look, this is this is a case that's going to be solved. They're going to find it. And then, then based on the DNA and uh, old, old material, you're going to be in trouble. Let's get out ahead of this. Let's go in. Let's cooperate. Let's try to get off of the death penalty. Let's try to get off the top count, maybe negotiate something, a lesser sentence. you got to do what's in your client's best interest, whatever it is. It could be coming in and throwing yourself on the sword. It could just be, you know, standing back or it could just be <laughs> sharing your proper information. But Joe, uh, Joe, would you would you comment on why this is a federal case? Why the FBI is handling this? Jurisdictionally, very simply. It's it's jurisdictionally, there's multi-jurisdiction. So isn't that uh, federal property in Utah where, where, where the crime parks, took place? Yeah, federal parks are, yeah. Are, are federal ground. So, yeah, there's, yeah, there's a number of ways you can get federal jurisdiction. And is it also that he may maybe went into state to commit a crime, or is that not considered? If it's part of the crime, like the element of a crime that he, you know, intended to do this in that state, you know, traveling interstate. 
But yeah, there's a lot of different hooks you can use to get into federal court. But but generally, I don't think it's going to be a federal prosecution. Generally, these crimes are prosecuted by states. Yeah, it's not I, I think the jurisdictionally they brought the FBI in, obviously, to, for the help and everything. But I believe oh, that the yeah. location is is a federal uh, federal uh, property. So, but Joe, talking about uh, with the profit, isn't that called Queen for a day? Yeah, Queen for a day in New York. That's the vernacular we use. Where right. you, you get to come in and say whatever you want, and they can't use it against you at a subsequent prosecution if they do prosecute you. And I've done this. Mike Sheehan was wonderful with this. We. Well, we investigated cases and went through. We would go into uh, the DA's office and proffer and talk to them. And we, we would get dismissal after dismissal because of, you know, mistaken identity or, you know, the, the intent was not there. And, and they realize it. And so it's a valuable, very valuable tool. If you don't have criminal liability, you can't go in there guilty of something and lie. Sure. They're going to be buried. But if you don't have criminal liability, but it looks like and it's pointing to you, it gives you the ability to share them. No, time out, time out. I left her. I don't I don't know what happened to her. And you give your information, they investigate it, and sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. But yeah. at least you're protected where you can go to trial and they can't now get on the stand and say, Well, you came in and you were the last one with her and you did you did this and you did that. They can't do it. The only lioness, thank you so much for the seven dollar super chat. She our question is what if he is admitted to a mental health facility? And pleads insanity. It's not so easy to plead insanity. There has to be numerous mental health reasons to be allowed that by a judge. The judge decides whether or not you can plead insanity. And it's so you can't just raise that defense without yeah, having think, the necessary parameters to do that. Burden that uh, I don't think he would ever be able to, to satisfy. No. Joe, I wanted to back up a little bit on what you said. Now, uh, again, he comes back from Florida. Uh, they consult with the attorney. The family's in on the whole thing. Now, to me, there's a moral obligation by his family, by Brian's family, that you know they're they're reaching out. Uh, I mean, meaning Gabby's parents are reaching out. They want to know where she is. And the the, the lawyer said, you know, don't talk to anybody. Uh, I'm going to represent you. I'm going to represent your parents. Don't talk to them. But with the amount of media uh, pressure and and all the talk and everybody's looking for in searches and everything, I really feel that those parents had an obligation to reach out and say, listen. We don't know where she is. They parted ways back in Wyoming or whatever. And then the search could have been concentrated out that way right from the beginning. Whatever it is, I just feel like those people are going to have to live with what they did. I mean, it's terrible that this kid came and, and just tried to carry on his life without her and, and came back from Wyoming and drove to Florida. It, it was terrible. And that's why I think. You said it earlier about all the people and the emotion, how people were so plugged into this case. It was worldwide, not even nationwide, worldwide. Everybody was wondering, where's Gabby? Where's Gabby? Now it's where's Brian and everything. But the, the what the actions that they took and the way that he acted and that family, that family, they had an obligation because Gabby's family and Brian's family, they weren't talking every day, but they had a relationship. And how dare they not say, listen, we don't know where your daughter is. They parted with, I mean, something. They ignored those people. That's terrible. I can't even imagine what these people went through. I have daughter the same age. I have three daughters. One of them's the same age as Gabby. I can't even imagine what these people are going through now and what they went through from the 11th that this girl was reported missing. That's around the time that they figured out that, that she's missing 
until now when she was found yesterday. It's horrible. Those people should be ashamed of themselves. I'm disgusted with the way that they acted. I'm disgusted with Brian. I called him a scumbag, and that's what he is. He's not a man. And listen, I hope he's found alive to face justice. Maybe we can get information out of him. And, uh, you know, I would love to see justice for Gabby against Brian. Guys, you know, uh, we've been we've been on the air for an hour and a half, and uh, we're certainly not going to solve this case, but there's so many aspects to this case. And folks, thank you so much for listening. And uh, again, if you're not subscribed to Police Off the Cuff Real Crime Stories, hit us up on YouTube, subscribe, ring that bell, give us a thumbs up. We really appreciate this. We're going to stay with this case Um as Phil said, this is not a national case. It's an international case. And when I heard yesterday at 6 o'clock the uh, press conference by the FBI, it was really disheartening. It, was, it, it hit me right in the gut. And even the um, the chief officer in charge uh, the, of the from the FBI was – Special agent from the FBI. Special agent in charge was, was visibly upset. So you can imagine, I mean, we've worked these cases where we've had to tell the parents that their loved one is dead, and it's it ne it's never, ever easy. So, uh, I, I guys, I think I'm not going to give you last words because we've already been on so long. But, folks, I just want to thank everyone for listening to us, and uh, we'll keep on top of this case. And I want to thank everyone uh, for listening tonight to Police Off the Cuff Real Crime Stories. And on behalf of Bill Cannon... Phil Grimaldi and Joe Murray, the great attorney. We're so happy that you're back and you're feeling better. Uh, good night. Good night, everyone. Prayers for Gabby Petito and her family. Amen. Absolutely.